Hello, everyone. My name is Leila, and I'd like to welcome you to our scientific communication podcast. This is a podcast where we interview biomedical researchers as we try to convey their research to a non-scientific audience to increase the accessibility of today's research. Today, we have Dr. Mary Ellen Harper, a professor and world-class researcher at the University of Ottawa. Um, Hello, Dr. Harper. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks. So can you let our audience know a bit about yourself? Well, (laughs) I've been a professor here at the University of Ottawa since uh, 1995, so I've been here quite some time. So I did my undergrad at Guelph, always had an interest in nutrition and metabolism and translational research. Then I came up to Ottawa to do a a PhD and then went on to postdoc at University of Cambridge in England, uh, which also was great. Then I came back to University of Ottawa to take up a position in biochemistry. That's really nice. And what's the general overview of your uh, lab in terms of like research interests? So we're really focused on the mitochondria, the so-called powerhouses of the cells. You know, mitochondria do a lot of other things, but really fundamentally what uh, they do is allow cells to symbiotically use a wider variety of energy substrates and get more energy, essentially, from different energy substrates. And it's a mitochondrial bioenergetics lab. That's what it's kind of referred to as. And then the fundamental phenomenon that we're most interested in is, you know, we teach in our undergraduate courses that you get so many molecules of ATP from a one molecule of glucose or fatty acid, and those values are absolutely wrong. We never get that amount. It's highly variable, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, so often, you know, you only get half of that. Uh, so we're interested in that phenomenon and why it would occur. Uh, There must be a function uh, for such energy wastage and how it's controlled. So it's largely got to do with, you know, reactive oxygen species and oxidative damage. So it's good to have variable energetic efficiency. So we like to translate that kind of mechanistic type research to clinical conditions. So we've studied heart metabolism with clinicians at the Heart Institute. We've studied skeletal muscle differences in energy metabolism with obesity researchers at the Ottawa Hospital and internationally and uh, studied in the context of cancer cells as well. It's it's all about energetics of those <laughs> powerhouses in the cells of our bodies. Yeah, thank you for the general overview of the research you and your lab conduct. So hopping into the research papers. So there are two papers that we took a particular interest in and that we thought our audience would benefit from listening to discuss. Mm-hmm. The first one being the metabolic terminology. So what's in the name paper? I thought it was a very fascinating read. Uh, For our listeners, can you give us a very brief idea of what the paper is about? So I was invited to write that review at Nature Metabolism because I was reviewing papers for that journal. And I commented that the submitted manuscript was using some of the terminology incorrectly. And then the editors uh, wrote back to me and said, You know, we're getting a lot of papers submitted with terminology that seems to be very loosely and incorrectly used. So maybe you could write a a short paper on this. So I invited uh, Mary Elizabeth Patty at um, the Joslin Diabetes Research Center at Harvard Medical School to co-author it with me because I had done a sabbatical with her in 2014. And she's an expert in metabolic programming. 
we wrote that short paper to try to clarify the use of some of the terms that are becoming of greater and greater interest in metabolic and disease research these days. So, you know, we had really hoped that clarifying some of these terms would help people use the right terminology in in their work. Yeah, you definitely noted um, certain highlighted differences, things like metabolic control versus metabolic regulation and programming versus imprinting. Are there any consequences, if any, of not making these distinctions, whether within the scientific community or even like to the general public? Well, definitely within the specific scientific community, within specializations, you know, there are subspecializations and so forth. And so, you know, getting the terminology right is really important, especially to those people within a certain discipline. To the wider community, it might not make so much of a difference, but taking a look at the terms metabolic control versus metabolic regulation, well, the term regulation implies that a system is in place to keep something at a given level, like say room temperature, you know, in our house, we have thermostats and we might set them at say 23 degrees Celsius. And that temperature is regulated in the house. So if it goes down too low, the furnace comes on and so forth, just like blood glucose is controlled around five millimolar. We have all sorts of processes in the liver, et cetera, to make sure blood glucose remains at five millimolar. And that's really important for the brain that has like an obligate type of need for glucose for metabolism. Whereas control, control is a term that refers to the mechanisms that allow that regulation. And then, you know, there are sub-disciplines within metabolic research that use metabolic control theory, kind of like control theory that's used in engineering sciences, So that specific word or term refers to the mechanisms that allow something to be regulated, for example. Yeah. Given that you've talked about how the journal wanted you to write this review, um, because there were a lot of people that didn't make that distinction very clear, have you encountered experts in your field who find making this distinction unnecessary? And how do you respond to them? Yeah, I I think I just uh, respond that, you know, it's terminology within a specific field. If we can uh, improve the use of terminology, then using specific terms will mean that the specific meaning of the findings are better communicated within science. Even the, the use of the term energy, for example, the first law of thermodynamics, you know, energy can neither be created or destroyed. And so often in papers, Uh, you read that, oh, energy is created by mitochondria, but it isn't creative. It's converted essentially from, you know, the energy that resides within, say, a glucose molecule. And then it just is converted over to ATP, which is another kind of uh, molecule that has energy in a form that cells can use, you know, for all of those ATP demanding reactions, say, protein synthesis, ion gradient maintenance across membranes, so it's it's not the creation of energy. So, you know, terminology does matter, but we hope that it helps a bit. For sure. It just shows the impact just a change in a word can have. Um, so hopping on to the second paper, uh, we wanted to discuss with you was the uh, factors affecting weight loss variability in obesity paper. So mm. obviously this was a different sort of paper from the previous one. It involved an experimental approach. 
Um, so obesity is an unfortunate issue that we face here in North America. Uh, you and your team have conducted a systematic review regarding factors affecting weight loss variability in obesity. Can you talk about the research and its impact in the industry of nutrition and obesity? Ultimately, um, we hope that this research advances a better understanding of energy metabolism and uh, clinical treatment uh, for those seeking uh, treatment. You know, it's not widely recognized that there is a great variability in susceptibility to obesity. And there are a million and one reasons why, uh, ranging from societal aspects to the biological aspects and the biological aspects of what we are, what we've been focusing on. And our research goes back over 20 years in this field in which uh, we've been collaborating with Dr. Bob Dent at the Ottawa Hospital and Ruth McPherson at the Heart Institute. And in the thousands of patient records that uh, Dr. Dent has maintained over the years, some people on the given clinical weight loss program lose twice or three times as much weight as others, even though they have the, the same biological sex, the same initial body weight, et cetera, et cetera. And so we started exploring reasons why that might be. And another important implication of this type of research is patient advocacy uh, and countering bias uh, against individuals with obesity, because there are biological reasons for susceptibility and resistance to certain treatment uh, paradigms. So in a number of papers over the years, we have shown that energy expenditure in skeletal muscle which accounts for 20% of resting metabolic rate and a, a much larger proportion when people are, are moving around and exercising, that the efficiency of energy conversion in skeletal muscle is greatly different. And those people who lose weight easily uh, have inefficient mitochondria, more energy is wasted through these mitochondrial processes that we've been studying. And the composition of skeletal muscle is very different. You've probably heard of fast and slow fibers or oxidative and glycolytic fibers in skeletal muscle. Well, those people who lose weight very quickly have more oxidative fibers than those people who lose weight very slowly. We published that a number of years ago. And one study that we wanted to do as a result of these observations was to look at whether those individuals who have trouble losing weight through diet alone respond differently to exercise and whether exercise might be the missing ingredient and might help them. So we took four years to do that study. We published it in this last year in eBiomedicine. It's a journal at The Lancet. And it's a good news story in the sense that we found that uh, the six-week exercise intervention that we conducted with a a large number of collaborators, there were 17 authors on that paper, that exercise did cause very significantly uh, more improvements in skeletal muscle metabolism in those individuals who lose weight slowly. So it's something that can help individuals who lose weight slowly on uh, diet alone. That's really interesting. Uh, you talked about like the societal and biological variability in individuals and how that can affect the weight loss journey that they experience. And you specifically touched on oxidative fibers. How would you explain it to the general public? So within skeletal muscle, there are different kind of cell types and some cell types there are much better at burning energy substrates like glucose or fats. 
uh, than others. And those are the oxidative uh, fibers. So they oxidize these fuels. And other cell types within skeletal muscle are, are called glycolytic, and they use more glucose and don't tend to use their mitochondria as much. So they have greatly different energy demands, these oxidative versus glycolytic fibers. And people who are in the exercise physiology fields look at the impact of exercise and the advantages of having more oxidative fibers than glycolytic fibers, because you can run longer, <laughs> like the time to exhaustion during exercise is extended. So it's very important. Yeah. Well, Dr. Harper, that was incredibly informative. Uh, personally, I feel like I've gained a much deeper understanding of what it means to conduct research in your field, and I'm sure our listeners have benefited greatly from it. Yeah. So given that you're in the field of met metabolic research um, and the mitochondria, what would be an appealing factor for students to get into metabolism research specifically? The, the work that is done with the, the cell samples, for example, is, is uh, real time. It's not like uh, blotting for proteins. You know, you have the cells and we have these uh, pieces of equipment in the laboratory in which we study the activity of those cells and their characteristics kind of real time. So it, it's, it's exciting to conduct metabolic studies, whether you're examining the metabolism at isolated cells or tissues or, or working with individuals and doing whole body resting metabolic rate or strength studies. It's a, a good team dynamic field as well. Yeah, sounds like a very broad field of research that you can really go from like human to all the way to cells. So that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Harper, for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I look forward to seeing more amazing research coming from your lab in the future, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. My pleasure.